Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. You're listening to the Relationships Made Easy podcast, episode 48. You are listening to the Relationships Made Easy podcast with Dr. Abby Metcalf. Change your relationship even if your partner won't do a thing. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Relationships Made Easy podcast. I'm your host, you should know this by now, or hostess. How am I supposed to be saying that? Dr. Abby Metcalf. <laughs> and uh, okay, today is big because this is something that comes up over and over and over again in the work I do with individuals and couples and just about everybody and certainly in my own life. So today we're going to talk about how attached are you in your relationship? That's the question we're going to answer. And today you're going to learn all about attachment, what it is how to identify your own attachment style, how your attachment style is affecting your relationship. I should say relationships, but we, you know, on this podcast, we tend to talk a lot about your romantic partners, but this is all your relationships get affected by this. And then as always, my top seven tips today, seven of them for changing to a healthier attachment style. So there's some attachment styles that are unhealthy and or less healthy, I should say. And so we're going to talk about how to shift and be healthier now. So uh, I'm going to give you a tiny bit of background first. So in the in the 30s, 40s, a man named John Bowlby, he was a developmental psychologist and a psychiatrist, real loser, uh, was interested. I'm always amazed when people have so many degrees, like more than me. They make me look like I don't even know what I'm doing. Uh, he was a developmental psychologist and psychiatrist, and he was interested in what happened when children and their primary caregivers were separated for either brief or longer amounts of time. And he believed that how we attached to these caregivers affected our sense of security, uh, affected our personality development, and our ability to form stable relationships throughout our life. So his theory is known, you, you guessed it, as 
attachment theory. <laughs> and it was developed a lot more in the 60s by one of his primary students, a woman named Mary Ainsworth. So now, so attachment theory at this point has been researched for decades, and it's really become one of the basic tenets of psychology and how we think about human development and behavior. So I'm sure your next question is, why are you telling me this, Abby? Why do I care? Well, in the 1980s, psychologist Cindy Hazan, I, I apologize if I don't say her name right, um, Cindy Hazan and Philip Shaver, they began looking at whether how we attach as children could relate to our later adult romantic relationships. See, there's your there's your lead in why I'm talking about it. So since then, there's been a ton of research and there's a lot of agreement that how you formed attachments as a kid definitely affects your later relationships. Again, even more than just romantic work, siblings, friends, all of it. But we're again, we're going to focus mostly on romantic, but please think about your other relationships too. And knowing your attachment style, it really gives you a bunch of information. So It'll tell you what romantic partners and friends you choose in your life, how well those relationships develop and grow or don't, what issues you'll repeatedly face in your relationships, and you're facing those same things over and over again, and how your relationships will end, believe it or not. It, it depends a lot on your attachment style. So you might experience you know, the crash and burn, or you might be uh, someone who ghosts, <laughs> or maybe have people ghosting you. Or the ending up as friends or friends with benefits, all those kinds of things really are about your attachment style. So figuring out your attachment style can help you understand really why you do what you do in your relationships. And to me, more importantly, why you get stuck and then how to move forward. Okay. So we're going to, we're going to cover a lot of ground today. So get ready. So next, what is attachment? Abby, what's attachment? Well, Simply put, I want to say this as simply as possible, attachment really is the emotional bond you develop with another person, and it reflects the trust and security that you feel in that relationship. And as I've said in other podcasts, the basis of all relationships is trust. And so you can see how important that is. Now, so the exact terminology used in attachment theory, it's very different depending on like who you're, not very, it's somewhat different depending on who you're reading or what they're, you know, who the author is and what theory they have. But basically, generally there are three forms of attachment that everyone talks about. And you know me, I like to keep it simple. So we're going to go with the three. <laughs> and basically there's secure attachment and then there's insecure attachment. Okay. So the secure attachment, these are kids who develop this way, basically, uh, kids who develop this way, basically they saw their primary caregiver as a safe base of operations. From that safety zone, so from this safe person, they could explore their world. They feel confident and, well, and you guessed it's secure, right? <laughs> they end up trusting others and feel comfortable relying on the people that they're close to. So that's securely attached kids to adults. And then the two forms of insecure attachment are anxious and avoidant. Now, anxious attachment, these are kids, let me think again how to say it simply. So kids who are anxiously attached basically don't have complete trust in their caregiver. And this is true for both insecure attachments, for both anxious and, and avoidant. But they don't feel 
because they don't trust, they don't feel confident going out into, you know, the big bad world to check things out. And these kids are often, and adults are often clingy or fussy. And so this could be because their primary caregiver was nervous and anxious themselves or had some other kind of mental health issue or because of how they reacted to this particular kid's needs with this kid's temperament and all that. It could be for a variety of reasons, but basically these kids are anxious overall. And then avoidant attachment, again, these kids also don't trust their primary caregiver, but they figured out how to self-soothe and get their own needs met. So uh, they sort of parent themselves. So they can seem very independent and even indifferent to the people around them, uh, depending on, uh, you know, again, the kind of kid and the kind of adult they become. So basically the research shows that kids with a secure attachment style grow into adults who tend to have more stable and lasting relationships. So that makes sense. So meanwhile, kids with avoidant or anxious attachment styles, again, these insecure attachment styles, tend to become adults who experience uh, more negative emotions in their interpersonal relationships. They're not as good at resolving conflicts, that kind of stuff. So, and I do want to say that Just in case you think this is all some sort of airy-fairy woo, you know, created by a bunch of over-emotional psychologists, I do want to mention that neuroscientists have been studying this too, and they also believe that attachment is a super big deal. And they see it as a primal need that's literally embedded in your neural circuitry. So, and they've identified neural networks in the brain dedicated to attaching. There's a bonding hormone, uh, oxytocin, a lot of you have heard of that, that cements all this bonding. There is absolutely a lot of physical, biological, neural circuitry related to attachment. So again, I don't want you to just think it's all, you know, some psychological stuff that we made to fit. Uh, There's a lot more to it. So, okay, time to get specific, right? Let's dive into each attachment style, and then you can get a, a better understanding of where you sit. And Okay, we're not supposed to diagnose our partners, but maybe you can figure out your partner too. <laughs> it might be helpful. <laughs> so don't don't tell your partner I said to do that. Okay. Um, all right, let's start with anxious. I think that's a good place to start. L- the anxious attachment style. Let me let me start off with that. So in the original studies, here's what they did: anxiously attached children would get very upset when their caregiver left the room. So what they did, they have a, you know, infant little kid in the room, they have the the caregiver leave and they see what the kid does. And basically, um, they would exhibit for sure some separation anxiety, um, and, and get, you know, anxious and cry or be upset. Something, you know, something would happen. And what's interesting is that even when their caregiver returned to the room, even when they came back, they didn't calm down. They often would stay agitated again, cause they're, they're not trusting. So they didn't really feel reassured and safe when the caregiver even came back. Uh, anxiously attached people would generally be considered high maintenance. These are high maintenance folks. They need a lot of attention. The adjectives that often come to mind are things like clingy or needy. There's an emotional hunger there that seems impossible to truly sate. As adults, they look for high levels of emotional closeness, approval, uh, and communication from their partners. And they can sometimes become overly dependent on other people. 
no matter how much attention they get, it can seem like it's not enough. And this, again, you might be thinking of people in your life that this matches, or you might be thinking of yourself. They can have a hard time fully trusting that their partners really love them, so it can be suspicious, even paranoid. They end up focusing on the negative things their partner does and are often waiting for the other shoe to drop. These these are my waiting for the other shoe to drop, folks. And what I find, what I see is that anxiously, anxiously attached adults spend way too much time and go way too deep, kind of with everything. Uh, it doesn't matter whether it's an in-person conversation, a text message, an email, a phone call, they examine, re-examine everything. And they try to decipher what exactly happened and they'll talk to you about it ad nauseum. That, that's that's this. They just keep going back to it almost as if it's a compulsion or, you know, like they're on a, a repeated loop in their brain about it. So now, as you might imagine, anxiously attached people, they often end up self-sabotaging. So their relationship becomes, you know, a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's in their fear and insecurity because they can become, right, like I said, clingy, demanding, controlling, and even possessive with their partner. And this likely causes their partner to pull away, as you might imagine, right? And then the anxiously attached person says, see, I knew she didn't really love me or, uh, you know, I was right not to trust him. They they think it's, again, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So you might be anxiously attached if, <laughs> I, like to, I like to give you some examples. You might be anxiously attached if, uh, let's say something like your partner comes home on time every night for a week, but then shows up late one night, maybe they forgot to call and you get crazy upset about it. You're just like, oh, this always happens. You know, you start using those terms, always, never, that kind of stuff. Uh, you might be anxiously attached if, this is a good one. You've had a really close, wonderful day with your partner. Okay. You've had a great day together. And then you go to a party at night and you see your partner chatting with someone and you get incredibly angry or jealous. You might be anxiously attached if your partner doesn't text you back quickly and you take it personally. You think something's wrong. You get annoyed. You worry that you've offended them in some way. You're, you're going back. What time did they read it? You're always looking at that. Oh, they, you know, why didn't they respond? Or, you know, you're really up in that. You might be anxiously attached if you're suspicious often of your partner's activities and, you know, uh, maybe demand to see their phone. You want to know their passwords. You want to have access to their email. And if they don't give it to you, you, maybe you try to secretly check these things. I, I see you social media stalkers out there. I, I can see you now. You set up maybe fake, fake accounts somewhere, start doing some following. Yeah. Uh, so anxiously attached people can seem like perfectionists or sometimes they demand that there's like a right and wrong way of doing things. It becomes very black and white. And that's really related to this unconscious level of them believing that being incredible, amazing, and perfect will mean that they'll finally be loved the way they really want. Um, so in a couple, anxiously attached people are often looking for some kind of, it's almost like a fantasy. They might be looking for their partner to be their white knight or some fantasy woman who will rescue them or complete 
complete them somehow and or have this, you know, incredible, ridiculous relationship. Uh, sometimes I hear them in my office. I'm at the passion. Where's the passion? You know, these words that are so big, not that I don't want you to have passion in your relationship, but there's this way that they're looking for something that consistently that it's really hard to have. And so they do have, you know, I'll point out, well, you had this, this shows passion, that shows passion. And there's always a, yeah, but yeah, but you know, it's not all the time or it's not whatever. Again, it's, it's hard to be sated. So, uh, and I want to be clear. So anxiously attached people are not bad people. These are not, if you fall in this category, you know, someone in this category. And as I'm talking about all of these, this isn't a horrible thing or, something that you should think, oh, I'm a bad person because of this at all. This is more about becoming aware of why you do what you do and making changes so that you can feel more calm. Like for an anxiously attached person, to me, it's about feeling more calm. It's about feeling uh, in their skin and not uh, perseverating, you know, not going on and on in their heads about things, not, uh, you know, obsessing and just having a easier, a life with more ease. And that's what I wish for you. So uh, again, as I'm talking, don't, don't get too into the right and wrong of things, get more into, oh, how, you know, what doesn't work for me and what would I like to change? So let's just, you know, just stay there. Okay, so let's talk about the second insecure attachment style, which is avoidant, the avoidant attachment style. And in this one, in the original studies, kids with avoidant attachment, they would basically avoid their caregiver. So again, you know, they'd have the caregiver leave the room for brief or longer periods of time. And basically, they didn't get or stay upset uh, when the person left. They might get a little agitated, but it left pretty quickly. And they would go about their business. And when the adult returned, when their primary caregiver returned, they weren't, they didn't particularly care that way either. Uh, They didn't like run over to them or weren't like so happy they were there. They might, you know, nod or smile. It's not like they would necessarily completely uh, avoid them or ignore them, but there wasn't a real uh, true joy about them being back in the room. And they didn't change behavior, whether or not the person was there or not. Uh, for whatever reasons, the child's needs weren't met, you know, on some, in some consistent way too frequently. So this kid learned that communicating what they needed didn't help, didn't make, didn't, didn't matter. So when they got upset, they figured out how to self-soothe. They basically, again, I think I mentioned earlier, relied on themselves, you know, to be a parent, to be their own parent. Now, Avoidant adults are all about putting distance between themselves and others. And this can be through uh, some of your type A's out there, (laughs) you know, overscheduling, being a workaholic. These are all ways to avoid, right? You're not going to be intimate and close when you're doing all these things. They can seem, uh, these people can seem indifferent or unaffected, even in a crazy relationship, just seem like, you know, they never seem to blow their top or anything. And this is because at their core, they keep their emotions somewhat closed off and don't allow themselves to be truly vulnerable, intimate, or emotionally close. And since other people can't help them feel better, they'll often look to things outside themselves for self-soothing more than the average person. I mean, everybody, trust me, even very secure people can can eat a pint of Haagen-Dazs, you know, but these folks especially often will look to drugs, alcohol, food exercise, shopping, work, uh, affairs, you know, sex outside the relationship, any of those things to make them feel better in their world. Um, 
And in a relationship, basically, they'll avoid true intimacy. Again, that emotional closeness, that bearing of your soul. And so the complaint I hear in the office a lot, their partners are often frustrated that they can't seem to fully show up emotionally. You know, they feel like they they can't quite fully connect. And so when things get serious, avoidance will deflect often. Maybe they use humor or maybe they just uh, if all else fails, they'll physically avoid or neglect the people around them, um, that kind of stuff. So avoidance in general tend to keep their own counsel and will hide out. <laughs> and then they'll make their decisions on their own and sort of bring it back to the couple. You know, like maybe there's some issue going on and they'll figure that out and then they'll bring back this solution to the couple. And then often will get upset when their partner doesn't agree or wanted to be part of the process. Uh, I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. They, they're more easily able, I want to say this correctly, like to turn off their feelings and not, again, and not react or get too emotionally upset. So that, that's their bigger. They definitely believe intellectually that being in a relationship and being close is important, but when that actually happens, when it gets close, they tend to pull away. Say They might say they feel trapped or suffocated or like it's too much. Uh, if they get too close, they think they'll get hurt is basically what's happening. So occasionally, you can this confusion they have can show up uh, with moodiness or emotional outbursts, but a lot of times you won't see anything. It's, it's, uh, I just, I say that because uh, some avoidance are kind of a, will will blow. You know, we'll have these crazy emotional outbursts and people think, well, they can't be avoidant because then they'd be indifferent all the time. And that's just, you know, everybody has a point where that doesn't work anymore. Uh, avoidantly attached people tend to highly value their independence, as you'd imagine, right? So once again, like, you know, they don't want to feel traps. They really like being independent. They generally don't like to ask for help or depend too much on their partner. They don't like that. When things get too intimate, they'll create distance. Uh, maybe they'll ignore their partner's calls or texts, or they'll um, they'll create distance by oh fixating on like little things and blowing them out of proportion. They'll see only the negative. Uh, they'll oh prioritize work or hobbies over their partner. All of these are ways to create distance. So you might be avoidantly attached if. <laughs> Uh, if you have difficulty asking for help or depending on your partner, you might be avoidantly attached. If you uh, find reasons to make work or that soccer team you're on a bigger priority than spending time with your with your person, 
you might be avoidantly attached if you make decisions on your own often and then bring the finished product to your partner. Or let me try to give you one more. Um, if you've been told that your partner never really knows what you're feeling, you might be avoidantly attached if they give you that sort of uh, feedback. Okay. So again, this doesn't mean you're a bad person. This doesn't mean that there's something, you know, horribly wrong with you. It means that I want you to think about this stuff and, and we'll talk about ways to cope with this, but how to shift what's not working. Okay. And then our last attachment style is secure attachment. And so in, in the early studies, these were children who, sh they would show some upset or distress when their caregiver left the room, but were able to pull themselves together and they could immerse themselves in an activity without their caregiver there. Uh, but these kids were also super happy when their caregiver returned to the room and they greet them and connect with them and be so happy. Uh, these children are the ones who will seek out comfort for the caregiver when they're upset or frightened because they know they'll get their needs met. They're open to exploring the world because they trust their home base. So, the, you know, you see these little kids all the time who will rush off playing on the playground and they're doing stuff, but they'll look back, you know, at their, they'll look back for their caregiver <laughs> and then they'll get immersed in something for a while. And all of a sudden they'll sort of remember like, oh, where's, where's my mom? Where's my dad? Where's my whoever, my grandma? And they'll sort of look up, they'll see the person and they'll go back to what they were doing. Uh, that's very much, I'm always looking on playgrounds for this stuff, you know, the sort of securely attached kids. Um, securely attached adults find happiness in their friendships and their romantic partners because really they believe relationships are good, safe things. All that trust is there. They aren't afraid to be vulnerable most of the time. They want to talk, share, and connect. They like all that. They can trust more easily and are willing to problem solve. They're willing to get their hands dirty, you know, get in there with you. Um, they're definitely, oh, they'll they're more self, they're mostly pretty self-confident. So they'll speak up for themselves, um, when something's happening, but again, also really willing to listen. They, uh, don't get easily defensive if your point of view doesn't match theirs. It's, it's really, you know, because of their confidence, they're able to do this and they don't generally act jealous or possessive again, cause they feel confident. They feel clear. They're open to their partner having, you know, me time and pursuing things that don't include them. Uh, there doesn't need to be, you know, the constant check-in or updates or any of that stuff. They're, they're, they feel good. They, what else do I want to say? They'll, well, they'll allow others to make decisions. Um, they can give up control in like a thoughtful way, you know, but they'll, they'll also take control. They'll, they'll put that back and forth. So basically securely attached people, are, uh, they, they again have this sort of confident, clear feeling about them and they're s totally supportive and comforting when their partners are upset or their friends, they want to problem solve. They want to brainstorm solution. Again, they're very collaborative, cooperative. The, these are all the things cause they trust, they, they believe in what's in the process that's happening and their own place in it. So, you might be securely attached if you, <laughs> um, let me find some good ones here. Hold on. If you support your partner having time, uh, friends, activities for themselves, if you, and don't get jealous of what they do outside your relationship, if you just feel really good about that. 
you might be securely attached if you feel satisfied in your relationship the majority of the time. Securely attached folks tend to feel satisfied most of the time. If you state your opinions, but you're open to your partner's thoughts also. You might be securely attached if you have rich, deep friendships and activities outside of your relationship. Um, and you might be securely attached if you ask for help and feel comfortable when you need to depend on your partner. So there's your three attachment styles. Now, the obvious next question is, hey, Abby, can I become more securely attached? <laughs> I'd like to be more securely attached. And I can tell you for sure the answer is yes. Uh and I will definitely share with you that, so I'm, my, uh, people always want to know, what's your attachment style, Abby? Uh, I am definitely at heart avoidantly attached, but I have enough secure, I had enough secure attachment in there um, to get by. But, you know, I was a drug addict very young, uh, you know, all that stuff that I did was is really super avoidant. Um, and... I've worked on being more securely attached over the years in a, in a very concentrated, effortful way and have had uh, excellent results. So when I get afraid, I definitely go to the avoidant um, for sure when I'm in fear state. Um, and I'll tell you for sure, my my partner will laugh. When I'm sick, I'm the worst. Like, I don't want anyone near me when I'm sick. <laughs> I want to be alone in my bed. I want you to sleep somewhere else. I <laughs> I don't want to be asked if I need anything. I don't want to be talked to. I really like, I'm like those animals, you know, who get injured and they go crawl under a tree and lick their wounds. That's so me. So that's often my first uh, you know, reaction to certain kinds of things is to pull in. Uh, but again, Again, I try to counteract that pretty quickly with some other kinds of healthier behaviors. So, okay. So as I mentioned before, being securely attached has definitely been shown to have better outcomes in relationships as far as, you know, people who are securely attached are happier, they're more satisfied in their relationships and their life as a whole. So, and the good news is that most people are securely attached. Believe it or not, they are. <laughs> in that famous study I mentioned before by Hazan and Shaver, uh, they what they found, and these numbers have borne out, that about 56%, well, 56% of people in their study identified themselves as secure, 25% identified as avoidant, and 19% is anxious. And those numbers tend to be about like, you know, about 50% of people overall are securely attached, maybe a little more. And then that other 50% is usually divided between avoidant and anxious, and usually with a more being avoidant than anxious, usually, um, but not always by a lot. So Yes, you can change and become more securely attached and you can, it's really, you're going to cultivate that style. It takes some work and effort. It is not an overnight thing. It is not one of those things where I give you a quick little hack and you go do it and you're done. It's not like that. You're going to need to really, the first thing you have to do is uncover the ways you're currently defending yourself from being emotionally close in your relationship. And if, cause if you don't see it, you can't, right? You can't change it. So, okay. So as always though, I have some concrete tips to get you there. That's my thing. I, so I created my top seven tips for becoming more securely attached. All right. 
Woo, take a break, take a breath, get ready for my tips. Okay, because you've been, you know, probably falling asleep in the car or however you're listening to this, starting to, you know, maybe you're taking notes. Uh, whatever you're doing, get ready for to rumble. Get ready for the seven tips. All right, number one, therapy. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. I've been in therapy forever, off and on. You're going to have to work on seeing what you haven't seen before. And therapy is really the best way to do that. These are things you don't realize you're doing usually. Uh, you're, what do I say all the time? You're basically a fish who doesn't know it's wet. And it's really hard to uncover this stuff unless you have feedback from a trusted person. And getting it always from your partner isn't necessarily the best idea. But having feedback from your partner and then taking them to therapy and talking about it is a great idea. So I really want to highly encourage people it to find some therapy. You don't have to go forever. You can do some brief therapy and go a few times, you know, get a good handle, however you want to do it. Um, but getting that feedback about your, you know, subconscious motivations, it's really the first step in changing how you react in your relationships. Uh, if you're anxiously attached, you likely need to work on self-esteem. For those of you who are more avoidantly attached, it's about learning to be vulnerable and connecting to your partner with empathy and compassion and really, you know, having that. So, uh, and I'm not saying securely attached people can't benefit from a little therapy too, but, you know, we're talking about moving towards a more secure, securely attached style. So therapy is number one. Tip number two, say it, don't spray it. Uh, <laughs> Remember when you were a kid, we were a kid, we used to say this, if someone was talking and they were talking so much, they would like kind of spit on you a little and you'd be like, say it, don't spray it. Well, I've, I've co-opted that for an adult version. When this happens as adults, <laughs> for sure, except the spray is your defensiveness. It's your crazy reactions or your non-reactions. All of them get all over your partner. They get all over your partner, just like spray and spit. They do. And it's time to stop. So instead, it's time to learn how to say what you really need. No passive aggressive bullshit, no walking away, no antics. It's time to talk about real feelings. And most importantly, to notice your discomfort in asking for help in a direct way. Again, remember that these insecure attachment styles are all about trust. What happens for you? Where is that discomfort in the trust? What what would it mean? Oh, I'm going to get taken advantage of, or um, I can't trust men, men are bad, or women are this, or whatever. Those generalized statements, all of this really, you know, it's time to kind of reel it in. Again, therapy is a great place to do that. But I really want you to, at the very least, think about when you're having conversations with you, the important people in your life that you say it, don't spray it, that you say your feelings, real feelings, and you don't kind of, you know, have verbal diarrhea all over them with all kinds of other stuff. All right. Number three, of course, and really it's probably number one, is that self-awareness. I know, I know you are so sick and tired of me talking about self-awareness, but guess what? You won't be able to make any of these changes if you're not aware in your moments. You, you, you have to know that you're acting in these old defeating behaviors. You won't be able to change them. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because I've done so much work on this. So I'll link in the show notes to my podcast on 
Uh, I have a podcast on why self-awareness is the most important thing in your relationship. I also have uh, how to make mindfulness a habit. So I'll do links in the show notes and you can jump over there and find those easily or you can search on my website either way. But you really need to up your self-awareness mindfulness game if you're going to do this better. Okay, tip number four, asking connecting questions. So... This is big. I talk a lot about asking questions. Again, my connection quickies, all over the place, I talk about asking questions. But you have to think about how to ask questions again in that connecting way. Can you tell me more about that? Oh, tell me a little more about how you're feeling. I I don't think I understand. Oh, have you tried... uh, What else have you tried to get through this problem? Would you like to hear... Uh, some thoughts about that. Do you want to talk to me about this more and brainstorm a bit? Do you want us to brainstorm about this? These are connecting questions. These are ways that you're looking not to give advice or suggestions or to criticize what your partner's doing, but to actually invite conversation, invite problem solving, and invite connection. It's really important that your partner knows you're on the same team getting to the same result or, you know, together figuring out how to solve problems. Number five, tip number five is to take part in connecting activities. Now, I'm going to be really clear about this. This is not just about spending time together. So sitting in front of the TV with your partner isn't necessarily connecting time. It's likely downtime. And I'm not saying that downtime isn't great, but a lot of times folks come in and uh, they'll tell me, um, you know, I have a couple in the room, he doesn't spend time with me. And then you will start talking and he's like, we, we watch shows together every night. You went on my business trip with me. I think I talked about this in a last pod in a podcast a few ago, because uh, this was a couple I'm thinking of right now. Uh, he was giving all these examples of ways they, you know, they were spending time together. And to her, it was nothing. When they're sitting in front of the TV, they were both on their, you know, devices. They they were just kind of sitting near each other. When she went on the business trips, you know, he was busy with business and would check in with her at the end of the day. You know, it wasn't really quality time. Again, and quality time means connecting time. Time that you're truly feeling like you're connecting. So I, I don't want you to think that this always has to be some epic, uh, romantic weekend getaway. This can mean walk the dog together after dinner. Just chat, walk the dog. Don't be, leave your phones at home, walk the dog and have some time. Um, take a ballroom dance class together once a week, you know, whatever. Uh, just have times that are, I have another couple they're doing, I have a few couples doing this actually, they're doing morning coffee. (laughs) They're having uh, 15 minutes in the morning without kids, without anybody around where they're, uh, some of them, I have some couples who read a book to each other during that time, something to share, someplace to start. Other couples who are getting along better, they just spend that time chatting about their day, how you sleep, just connecting, just connecting. It's a wonderful thing. Uh, so whatever it is, just set an intention for connection and not just spending time. I think that's the biggie before you do it. If it's, even if it's that 10 minute cup of coffee in the morning or whatever, just set an an intention in your head. Like I'm going to really connect right here. I'm going to make sure that we have a good connection. Uh, okay. All right. Number six, notice your feelings. You got to notice what emotions you feel when you experience any kind of insecurity 
with your partner, any fear state with your partner, notice what emotions you feel. Are you somebody who gets anxious and clingy when you're in some sort of fear state, when you're worried? Are you, do you get anxious and clingy? Do you get angry and resentful when you're feeling insecure with your partner? Do you get jealous or distrustful? Like, what are, what's your go-to? I really want you to try to identify how these feelings worsen your relationship and all your interactions, but I just want you to notice more and more these feelings. Uh, also notice, especially if you're, actually, not especially, if, if you're any of the insecure attachment styles, noticing your feelings is important because it, a lot of times we have the same ones. And I've shared this before, I'll share it again, that uh, way back in a, one of the first rehabs, drug rehabs I was ever in, uh, they always in drug rehabs make you go around the circle and share a feeling, sometimes two, before a group starts. And I didn't know feelings, feelings, what the hell are feelings? I, I kind of had mad, glad, angry, and sad. Like I didn't really have much else. Uh, and people would go around and they, you know, I'm feeling shy. I feel content. I feel overwhelmed. I feel interested. I, I, I was sitting there going, wow, these are good. And I would copy other people's feelings. I'm like, oh, shy is good. I'm going to, I'm going to do that one. Uh, you know, I, would, I would copy them down. I literally sometimes write them on my hand. How do you like that? That is how avoid and out of it I was. Uh, so really checking in with feelings and you can, uh, I've mentioned it before, you can download one of those goofy feeling sheets off the internet, you know, all the little faces with all the little, you know, uh, feelings underneath, however you want to do it. But start to really track what emotions you have and try, if you always are saying that you're sad or you're anxious or you're worried, try to go a little farther down. Try to look at those sheets and see if there's any other emotions there you're feeling. Um, oh, I'm actually feeling distrustful. Why do I feel distrustful? You know, and, and sort of go deeper, keep going. Well, cause I, you know, under that, I really feel sad or I, I really feel rejected or abandoned, you know, get a little deeper. The other thing you can do, which is especially good for avoidant, and again, I'm saying this, and it's really good for anxiously attached folks too, is to rate the feeling on a scale of one to 10, let's say 10 being super um, intense and one being not intense at all. Because what you might find if you're anxiously attached is that all your feelings register in the nine tens. And if you're avoidantly attached, you might find that they register in the one twos. And you don't always want that, right? So you want to look at also the intensity of your emotion and you want to amp it up if you tend to be in the 1-2 range, and you want to bring it down if you tend to be in the 9-10 range. It doesn't mean you can never go to 9-10 or never go to 1-2. It just means that if that's the only place you always go each time you have a feeling, that's more the issue, right? Okay. Uh, and then finally, uh, my idea, my, my last tip is to figure out your attachment style uh, by taking a little quiz, you know, figuring that out and learning more about your attachment style is really a great thing to do. And, and I'm giving you a, a, you know, a nice little generalized overview here, but going deeper would be awesome. So you can take, uh, I actually am going to, in the show notes, I'm going to link to two quizzes. One is a shorter one and one is a longer one. I think the longer one's only like 15 minutes though. And they're really good. They're very, very well done, I think. And, um, 
So I'm going to link to those in the show notes. You can find the show notes by going to abbymedcalf.com forward slash a podcast. And this is, what did I say this was? Episode 48, right? Uh, And you can go to episode 48 and you'll find the show notes for uh, how attached are you in your relationship. And there will be the link to the quizzes. I'm also going to put in the... um, resources and links, a lot of the research. If you're that person, you want to go look at the research. Uh, I think that could be helpful too. So I'll, I'll link to not all of it, but I'll link to a bunch just so you can have a nice little starting point. Uh, and that's it. That's it for today. You learned all about attachment styles as always. I so, so, so appreciate you spending time with me. If you haven't yet, I would really appreciate you going to my YouTube channel and subscribing. I know I've been a broker record with this, but I really need your help. Uh, And if you can share the YouTube channel or this podcast with one person this week, that would be awesome. If you just can think of one person who you think could benefit, these things are free. They're free on purpose because I really think it will help people lead happier, fuller, more connected lives, which will lead ultimately to world peace. So to me, it's about passing on the world peace. So if you can think of one person who would benefit from either the YouTube channel or uh, this podcast, please, please forward them the links. Uh, And that's it. Have a great day, an amazing week, and I will see you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Relationships Made Easy podcast at www.abbymedcalf.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.